Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. In my experience, the best leaders have studied and worked on leadership as a specific skill. My guest today is Dr. Kirsten Ferguson, a globally recognised leader, executive coach, public speaker, company director and writer. With a 30-year executive career and a PhD in leadership and culture, she is one of Australia's most prominent leadership experts. Kirsten also has a new book called Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. In this episode, she turns the table on me after I completed her free online tool to see exactly what sort of leader I am and maybe where I can improve. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. You've had an incredible career in the business world, but you also have a PhD in leadership. Why did you take an academic interest in leadership? Yeah, good question. When I was halfway through it and so working on it, I was wondering exactly the same thing. No, I think I've always been fascinated. When I think back to my first degree, I did a, a history degree of all things when I was you know, first going to uni and I did an honours degree and I looked at leadership then as well. I looked at the leadership of the Women's Air Force uh, in World War II. So I guess it's always been in my DNA and then obviously led uh, in various guises um, and then later in my career decided to pursue a PhD because, it, you know, I'm just fascinated by what makes leaders tick. Yeah, it's such a rich area. There's so many components to leadership. But you did start out in the military Can you talk a little bit about what you learned from that experience as a leader? Well, I joined, I was only 17. I'd been at a private girls school in Sydney and I don't remember one person saying to me, oh, you know, this might be a bit of an eye-opening experience as one of very few women. And I went off to the Australian Defence Force Academy and I was there all through the early 1990s, which is really uh, a period that's been under investigation and and condemned for its treatment of cadets at that time, particularly women. But I was very fortunate to do well, even in that difficult situation, end up ducking my Air Force class. But what I learned about leadership was at that time, it was incredibly hierarchical. And we were sort of 18 to 21 year olds given way too much power that we can't possibly understand how to wield. And so as a young cadet, you experienced uh, what that was like. And then as an older cadet, you inflicted, you know, yelling and screaming at younger cadets. And that whole situation taught me how ineffective you are as a leader when that is the way you lead. But then when I went to a squadron and I was a really junior officer, I think there's a real misunderstanding that the military is like 
it was an ad for or in the movies like Platoon where everyone's yelling and screaming. And in fact, we're taught as young officers that unless you earn the respect of the people that are in your unit or that you're leading, then you're not going to achieve anything at all. And when it comes to life and death, no one's going to follow you if they don't trust you. So you actually learned the basics about having to be a humble leader, believe it or not, in the military. And it's, I think, hopefully served me well. I do find that anyone who spent time in the military has given leadership a lot of thought and been trained in it, you know, from the very beginning, which is completely different from corporate life. Mm. Would you agree? Totally. And it shocks me that there's virtually no investment in leaders until it's almost too late, until they're really senior and they've gone and stuffed everything up along the way and they've got to unlearn what they might have learned. There's research that shows that the average length of time that it takes to give someone their first leadership training in the corporate world since they first started leading someone is 13 years. That is 13 years of getting it wrong. And it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. And if you think about executive coaching, and I do some of that work, it's the expense of that, the budget is only ever allocated for very senior leaders as a general rule. When really, you know, we need to be getting in at supervisory level when people are really having an impact on those around them at the very beginning of their careers. And something that I've always believed, and I know you are a, a big believer as well, is that we're all leaders in some way, shape or another. And there could be people listening to this today that have taken time out of the workforce and have got two kids that are looking at them and thinking, well, I'm not doing much leading because I've got two kids that I, I'm just battling to feed and get to bed on time. But the truth is that leadership is a very elastic concept and you are required every day in your interactions with human beings to exhibit the sort of skills that a leader traditionally is, is considered to have. Absolutely. We lead in the way, you know, we're impacting anyone we come in contact with during a day through the words we use, the choices we make, the behaviours we role model to others. And I'm a firm believer that we are all leaders, irrespective of what we've been told all our lives. And it goes back centuries as to why we've only ever celebrated formal leaders with a position and a title and a corner office. And generally they were men. And not even all men, but generally privileged white men, we now need to just thoroughly debunk that because we don't want or expect our leaders to be these wise, heroic figureheads of the past, you know, with decades of experience. When I wrote this book, I actually had in mind, and it's obviously written for a very broad audience, but this is personal to me when I was writing it, I was thinking about, you know, the woman at home with her kids who's starting a jewellery making business from her kitchen table or something like that. Nothing like the traditional leader we might have in mind. And yes, I've interviewed in the book, the CEO of BHP. You can't get any more formal, you know, a large leader than that. But also interviewed parents and teachers and others who we need to recognise are leading in their lives every single way. So that lady you're thinking about, the woman who's at home with the two kids looking at them, Um, It might feel like the toddler is leading you half the day, Uh, but in reality, you are absolutely being a leader and and role modelling to them what leadership looks like. All right, I really want to get into the new book. It's described as a, a practical guide for modern leaders. Can you share any of those practical tips for the 
women that are listening today and ones that they could implement quite, you know, quite quickly and simply? Yeah, well, I think what I wanted to do is firstly acknowledge, particularly for women, that, you know, a lot of the leadership role models we have around us in our workplaces are men and men who lead with the head. And, you know, they're all technically brilliant and full of industry knowledge, uh, but they are lacking in the ability to put people at the centre of their decision making. And so that's why it's head and heart. Now, there's a lot of women who are great at both, but a balance is needed. So we must be able to draw on both. And, you know, the book tries to uh, outline that the art of modern leadership is knowing what is needed when. And so for anyone reading the book, and I know you've done it, and I really encourage um, anyone listening, it's free and we'll get onto yours soon, but visit headheartleader.com and there's a five minute, you know, five to 10 minute survey and it'll tell you how you score in eight attributes of head and heart leadership. And then depending on where your strengths lie, then we can draw on them uh, and and come up with some practical tips for you. But I think one of the uh, superpowers of being a modern leader, and Helen, you excel, you're higher than average in what's called perspective. And this is that ability to be able to read a room um, and not just a literal room, but obviously your organisation, your industry, what's going on in the wider world. And you can also see who's missing from the room. And the research I did with QUT to build this scale shows that if you are high in perspective, it is highly correlated with uh, the other seven attributes of modern leadership. So, you know, they're the kinds of things that I'd really encourage people to go on. It's designed to be interactive, this book. So definitely jump online and, uh, and see where you fare. Kirsten, before we go into the details, Could you just outline what are the principles behind your book, Head and Heart? Yes. So what I wanted to do was identify attributes of what it means to lead with the head and the heart. Like we can all think of leaders who do. Jacinda Ardern is always rattled off. Volodymyr Zelensky is another one. And we think of them because they're so rare. And so what I want to do is understand what is it about those kinds of leaders, modern leaders that we appreciate. So I identified four attributes of leading with the head, four leading with the heart. I started with far more than that, but through um, looking at the previous literature through doing uh, an empirical study which created the head and heart leader scale was able to narrow those down to four. And so the four leading with the head are curiosity, wisdom, perspective and capability. And the four leading with the heart are humility, self-awareness, courage and empathy. Look, these tools are always utterly fascinating. And I've also just recently completed Clarity 4D. So I feel very aware of my... Uh, And it's deeply uncomfortable for me. So, yeah, tell me. Tell me about the seven characteristics. And perspective is my number one characteristic, which I don't think I would have picked. Isn't that interesting? Well, would you have guessed you were more, just intuitively, more of a head-based leader or a heart-based leader before you did that survey? Well, see, I think I overthink those things. So I probably am a head, yes, very much. And I think my friends and family would say, absolutely, And your top three of the eight attributes are all head-based. So the four, well, we'll use you as an example because you are really strong in the head. So perspective, as I said, this is all about really just understanding the environment or context you're leading in. And it's so important because you have to adapt your leadership style 
drawing on which of these attributes are the right ones at the right time by knowing the environment that you're leading in. So it's a really strong one for you. Your second highest was wisdom. And again, like wisdom has been around forever since the Stoics, but in the idea of uh, modern leaders, it means that you're able to assess what's known or unknown. You can search for data and evidence. You use reason and logic before you're making decisions. Does that resonate for you? I think so, yes. And then your third highest is capability. And this is about having a gross mindset to whatever you want to do. So you're always feeling you can continually learn to do better. You can strive to improve and you try and help others to have a growth mindset as well. Yes, I think this particular skill is consistent with being crazy enough to go and start your own business. Yeah, I think so too, because that is every day for me. I've got a problem to solve every day uh, and I, I kind of like it. And I can see through the problems usually. But, 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 but to my team that will listen to this, I certainly couldn't do it without a lot of help. So I require, you know, a lot of people around me who I trust to help me solve problems and then enact it. So that's the bit that I I do well. And there's a whole bunch of things I don't do very well. <laughs> it's funny you should say that because your fourth highest, your next is self-awareness. And that's reflected exactly in what you've just been talking about, because you've got a high insight into your character and your abilities and your limitations. And one of the most important questions to tell whether or not someone's going to be a modern leader is whether or not they actually recognise that they've got limitations. And we can all think of leaders who, you know, they think they're the smartest person in the room and we know they're not. <laughs> and they're certainly not if they think that. But just to finish off on the four head base, curiosity. And I was interested to see curiosity is definitely strong on yours, but not as strong as the others. And other journalists, uh, for some people, it's like off the charts. For others, it's much more regulated. Where does curiosity sit in your sort of view of your own leadership? I, if I'm giving speeches or talking to young women, often talk about the importance of curiosity. So I I really recognise it as a particularly important life skill. But I'm just going to self-assess here that as you get older, you think you know everything. So I'm probably less curious as I've got to this age than than I was when I was younger. That's really interesting. Again, very self-aware because we know you're good at self-awareness. It is something that we can lose and we're all born with it. I mean, curiosity is something that you see every baby who's shoving something up their nose and in their mouth is curious. But I think for curious leaders, we accept that we just don't know everything and we're wanting to learn and we want to challenge assumptions and we want to rethink what we thought we knew. And that can be uncomfortable for sure. But curiosity isn't just having a thirst for knowledge for some things, it's literally anything. And so then um, we want to balance those. They're all our head-based leadership attributes and they're all really, really important. So you have to be able to deliver outcomes and you have to be able to make sure that, you know, you've got the technical capability to do your job. But we want to balance that with empathy, which you are particularly strong at. So your strongest of your heart-based skills was self-awareness, which we've spoken about, and then empathy. And empathy is really misunderstood because it's not sympathy or compassion or pity or anything like that. And you can have too much empathy. Too much empathy is a bad thing. And for anyone wondering about that idea, have a read of Paul Bloom's book called Against Empathy. But I think if you can put yourself in the shoes of others and be able to take on or comprehend and understand others' feelings without taking them on yourself, because that's not helpful, 
then that's going to make you a much stronger leader. And as I define it for modern leaders, that I think it's tied to diversity as well, because you have the understanding that not everyone has the same lived experience as you. Just to segue onto empathy for a little bit, because it's something that comes up all the time. So a lot of women that sit in this studio with me talking about leadership will say that they like to think they're an empathetic leader. And I've challenged a couple of them over the time saying it's so exhausting if you are, I think, a full-time empathetic leader yeah, because you really don't have the scope to do that for everybody. And then if you're not doing it for everybody, then you're playing favourites. So I'm often kind of challenged by the concept of, you know, an empathetic leader because it's it's such a big thing to do and it can sap a lot of time. I'm sure you've got solutions to that because you would have trained people who wrestle with that as a concept and, a pro- and as an issue. Yeah, I think this is why I believe empathy is so misunderstood because it, intuitively, if you don't really think about it too much, it makes sense that, you know, we're all bursting with empathy and we have endless supplies of it. But if you were a leader who was constantly drawing on empathy, I think you're not balancing, you know, the need to hold people to account at times. You might take on those emotions of someone who's burnt out or who's emotional in your office and all those sorts of things, which is not helpful for any leader. So I do think you're right. There's plenty of research that shows people will avoid empathy wherever they can because it it's hard, you know, it just is harder to do. But it is important. You do have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of others and to appreciate that you do not have all the experiences to draw upon when uh, coming up to make decisions. Can I ask you one more question about empathy? Is that a predominantly female characteristic? Do you see it in men? I guess there's two questions. One is a lot of women say to me they are an empathetic leader. I don't interview anywhere near as many men, but I suspect they don't call themselves empathetic leaders. So that's the first question. And the second question is, do you see a lot of empathetic male leaders, even if they don't consider themselves that? I think you're right that anecdotally, it's not something that we've ever celebrated in the traditional leader. And the traditional leader has always been male, you know, up until recent times. And we would celebrate the leaders. You know, I I begin the whole book by looking at how did we get to where we are? And it started with the great man theory where they were celebrating explorers and scientists and titans of industry. None of them were writing about how much empathy they had for anyone. And then that continued. And you look at people like Henry Ford and all the way through to the Wall Street titans and, you know, God forbid, Donald Trump, there ain't no empathy going on there. So I don't think men have particularly ever had that ability to use empathy as a a strong leadership trait. So whether they have it or not is kind of by the by. And a lot of the leaders I work with, male leaders, they do not exhibit empathy at work. But when you talk to them about what they do at home with their children and the community, if they're church, whatever it might be, they actually have bucket loads of empathy. They've just never been able to integrate it at work. And that is actually what we really need and want to encourage. Now, I suspect, and again, this is my 
I'm just guessing, that women are better at integrating their whole person if they're in an environment that isn't going to slam them for that. So if they're in a culture where bringing your whole self to work, and that's been a term around forever, but we've never actually done it, uh, then it's going to be easier to show uh, empathy and to be vulnerable and all of those qualities that we want to see. Humility is, you know, another vulnerable trait that's so important for leaders, yet isn't one that's ever been celebrated in the leaders until now. So let's talk about humility. Humility. Well, how do you feel about humility? (laughs) So anyone who's listening, um, this is what I'm terrible at. I wasn't going to share your results. Is that that one? (laughs) (laughs) This is what I'm not good at. Let me talk to you about what humility is and then you can tell me what that means because other people will relate to your situation. So humility is obviously being willing to seek the contributions of others, accepting your own limitations, understanding things are beyond your control, being grateful for new ideas, and then just being really willing and eager to seek the contributions of others without seeing it as a weakness. And You know, perfectionism is kryptonite to humility if you feel you need to, you know, get everything right. And we have environments where we're expected to get everything right. Being humble is incredibly hard. Obviously, humility is, uh, it's a complex topic. And depending on the culture you're in, it may make it easier or harder to be humble. But I do think it's one of those traits where when we see humility in other leaders, it makes us trust them more. You know, we actually think they're more capable and that's the anachronism of humility and why it's so important. Which brings us to courage. <laughs> you can be courageous about humility. Yeah, so we're in the heart phase yep. at the moment. Yep. So courage, I think you and I, we need to work on your courage, Helen. Because okay. courage it was one of your areas for opportunity. Opportunity, there we go. And courage is hard for everyone. That's about speaking up for what you believe in. But it's also, you know, making decisions in the face of pressure not to and creating environments where others can do the same, which is where psychological safety really comes into it. But courage, you know, we often see on the, in the newspaper, the front page will be a whistleblower who's brought down an entire, you know, organisation They're the extremes of courage. Courage for the rest of us in an everyday situation is uh, pushing back on something that someone's asked you to do that, you you know, it's aligned with your values. It might be accepting a promotion when your imposter syndrome voice is telling you you're not good enough. Uh, Could be starting a new business. And it sounds like you've done that a number of times. So there's different ways we can can show courage. Yes. And I'm I'm going to be intrigued to hear from you about what you see as the three or four top characteristics. Like, so for example, if you are working with the leading men and women in this country who are recognised excellent leaders, what would you expect to see in their profiles? Would courage be up there? Yeah, I think ultimately you have to have all of these eight. So some of the leaders that I've worked with, I've never seen a perfect star. And anyone who's listening, when you go and do your report, you'll see it comes out as a bit of a star diagram. But I think having a balance between head and heart is really important. And you can't fail this. Like it's not as though you can get a result that's anything but what works for you. It does. It does go to show, and I talked about this at the beginning, at the opening, that, well, to me, it's really obvious the leaders who have worked on their leadership. 
uh, particularly when I'm doing these interviews, Mm -hmm. there are lots of people in this country that have seen leadership as a skill. It is not something that they do as a byproduct of their talent. It's actually regarded as something they have to work on. And it, it just goes to show to me that it is a job, it's a work in progress. It's never actually done. You can always discover something about the way you lead that could be done better, which is something you know inherently because you are the expert. And the best leaders know they're still failing because that's inherent with being a humble leader. Um, And I think I call it in the title, the art of modern leadership. It is a craft. It's something that you do have to continually practice and continually get better at. And part of that is knowing that in any given day, you're going to stuff up multiple times, probably. And that's okay, because that's part of the journey. And if you do, you're going to need to understand the impact you're having or that decision has had on others and go and rectify it straight away and commit to not doing it again. And that might happen quite a lot. But the better leaders, and we all know them, we all know those leaders that we actually trust when they tell us that, yep, I got it wrong, but I'm not going to do that again. What I've learned from it is X. And I think, you know, leadership for me is just simply a series of moments. And every single moment is an opportunity for us to either leave a a sharp, you know, choppy waters in our wake or a positive legacy. And I just think we absolutely need to debunk this idea that we can be one type of leader, say, at home and a different one at work. We need to integrate the leader we are across uh, our lives. What sort of leader are you? Having successfully turned the tables on me, um, what sort of leader are you? (laughs) Although I thought I was deflecting quite well. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. No one normally gets away with that with me that easily, but yeah. (laughs) I'm very happy to continue talking about you. (laughs) I like to think that on some, in my best um, moments, you know, I've got the balance of head and heart right. But then in my worst or my default, so you know when you're stressed or anxious or whatever, you tend to default to your natural state. And that I'm not particularly proud of my natural state. You know, it can be quite directive. It can be demanding and really pernickety. (laughs) You know, I, I really all notice if things haven't been done right. But I've worked, I think, on my self-awareness enough. I know when that's happening and I'm getting better at catching myself doing it. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Uh, So I think self-awareness is a big one. The idea of, you know, being able to read a room, I think I've learned that through my career. So that one of perspective. So I started leading in the military, as we talked about. I then went into law and was in partnerships, which are a completely different culture altogether, before becoming CEO of a group of psychologists. So like three very, very different areas to lead in and then have been sitting on boards for a long time where you lead through influence, not through, you know, directing. So I think I've got good at practising what it means to adapt your leadership and to read that room, but I'm constantly failing as well. So I, you know, in any day, there'll be something I will think, oh God, you know, why did I do it that way? Or next time I'll need to do it that way. Or I'll rethink assumptions I had. Leadership characteristics come in and out of fashion, right? So what are fashionable characteristics at the moment that you you see in your training or in the literature that keep coming up that people go, we well, should have be more of this or more of that? And there are certain characteristics that are 
unfashionable these days? Well, unfashionable is every single headline you see, you know, in the nine papers of some boss who's been sacked for bullying, yeah. harassment, uh, just being an asshole at work. Definitely, you know. And that used to be good leadership. It was. It was. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. back in the um, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you know, the toe cutter at uh, GE, Jack Welsh, was like lauded as this incredible leader and he was an asshole. Uh, and he had, I write about him in the book, his nickname was Neutron Welch because he used to um, pulverise everyone but leave the buildings intact. And that was like a good thing. <laughs> so yeah. I think um, for anyone who doesn't remember living through those times, we look back now and think, what on earth were we thinking? And Australia was just as that. We had, you know, the same kinds of attitudes. So I think what's in fashion now are certainly leaders who are prepared to be one of their team. They don't see leadership as an entitlement. They see it as a privilege and they understand that they're there for the benefit of others, not for the benefit of themselves. But, you know, those kinds of leaders are often few and far between. But the organisations that foster that kind of leadership culture, I think, do really well. Remembering that this is an audience that in many cases they're starting out on their leadership journey, what advice have you have you got? What are the sort of things that young women who are just starting to lead teams or are expecting to lead teams in the future should think about as they progress? I think there's a few messages I would have for, you know, my younger self or for younger listeners. Um, And some of them I talk about in my first book, Womankind. And the first was about working together. And that's why I love that there's now organisations like yours where women can network together and work and support one another. Because I don't think I put nearly enough credit in that when I was coming through. In fact, I would run from women's events for fear of being branded some troublesome woman who, God forbid, might want to be paid the same as men. (laughs) Um, I just didn't want to be banded in together with other women. And that was a mistake. Like I wasted sort of two or three decades when really I could have learned from other women. We would have been stronger together. That collective leadership of women is so important. So I certainly encourage younger women to figure that out well before I managed to figure it out. And I think the second piece of advice would be to understand that you can be yourself and succeed. So I, as a younger woman, put on a suit almost, or, you know, literally and um, metaphorically of professionalism, which I thought was what I needed to be. Um, and I've even talked about how I straightened my hair. So I had my, and you can't see me, but if you Google my, I have very curly hair. I chemically straightened it for 25 years because I thought, that's what a professional woman looked like in the workplace. And I now think of that a bit of um, as an example, an analogy really to how I wasn't able to be my true self. And the sooner I figured out that you can actually be successful and be you and the same you you are in all facets of your life, the easier it is. I mean, it's just exhausting not actually being able to be yourself. And then a third last piece of advice is to say yes to opportunities because you're going to be shitting yourself. You're going to get an opportunity and you're going to think, there's no way I can do this. Uh, Just say yes and figure it out later because trust in whoever has asked you. Clearly, they see something in you that you haven't seen yourself and uh, trust that you'll get it right. You'll figure it out along the way and you'll be a better leader for it. 
That is excellent advice. And I couldn't agree with you more on all of those points, having learnt those lessons the hard way myself. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson, thank you so much. I am now going to go away and work on my courage and humility, although it should be my humility and my courage (laughs) that should be the order. Um, I really appreciate the coaching session and uh, I'm sure many of our listeners will have learned something from that. So thank you so much for sharing and good luck with the book. Please go and buy Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. Fantastic work and it's a privilege to talk to you. Thank you for having me. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.